the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond, but at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's often said that, uh, how, how do you say it, a podcast in one hand is worth uh, two in the bush, or uh, a, a you can take a podcast to water, but you can't make it stream. You can't teach an old podcaster new tricks, or can you? Mm-hmm. Don't look a gift podcaster <laughs> in the mouth. Uh, these may not be the exact verbatim figures of speech or turns of phrase, but by gosh, by golly, by gum, those things are fascinating nonetheless, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm Ben. <laughs> Hi, I'm Noel, and uh, and uh, this is Ridiculous History. Oh, yes. We should tell people the name of the show. Uh, we are accompanied, of course, as always, with our super producer, Casey Pegram. Give him a hand if you're not driving. And this is a very special episode for us, Noel. It's true. We are exploring some strange dare I say, ridiculous idioms and figures of speech, but we are not embarking on this journey alone, my friend. Oh, no. We have joined forces with a good friend of ours, friend of the show, a podcaster, producer, musician. Yeah, just regular, you know, all-around, jack-of-all-trades, renaissance man. Mm-hmm. You can't hear this, but I'm blushing right now. <laughs> Hello, ridiculous historians. Uh, Rowan Newby, thanks for coming on the show, man. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Rowan, if yeah. that's your real name, uh, um, could be. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> has a fantastic uh, podcast called Pitches, um, wherein uh, various uh, entertaining, comedic people, smart people, funny people come on and pitch uh, pretty horrible ideas for products or or films or books or really anything that that uh, would require a pitch to try and sell. Is that right? I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, they're not, they're not all <laughs> terrible ideas, right? They're maybe unorthodox. <clears throat> they're yeah. unorthodox. Okay, that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> Sometimes it's almost scary when we stumble upon a good idea because we don't know what to do. We, there's often, we're like, oh, no. 
go, you know, let's cut this. You quickly copyright it and we'll save this episode or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Rowan was uh, kind enough to, to have me on as a guest uh, of a, a very early episode of the show. Um, and we kind of stumbled upon a reality show idea for like masked performers. And it mm-hmm. was more in the DJ space. But then the other day we looked at the TV That's and right. uh, now there's the masked singer. Lo and behold. Lo and behold. Parallel thinking at its finest. Is lo and behold the name of the artist? It should That's be. That's a good idea. <laughs> it, it would be with zeros, though. Yeah, oh, exactly. yeah, yeah. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> and it's weird how quickly that that idea just evolved, right? One of the things that we're, we, we explore often here on Ridiculous History will be the strange turns of phrases that emerge, especially in English, but in all languages, over the uh, unending game of telephone that we call mm-hmm. history, right? Uh, there are some weird ones. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the, those great compilation articles about phrases in other languages that just don't translate, you know, uh, like things that make sense in Turkish, for right. instance, but not English. It turns out that our language has a ton of those. And, <laughs> and today uh, we combined our forces to explore a few that captivated us and to do our darndest, since we're a family show, to discover the origin behind these phrases, right? This is the right mm-hmm. episode for that. It right? is, okay. and, and I think it's actually a repeatable model. I think if this mm-hmm. goes well, we could maybe do some more of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dear friend, your dear friend, uh, Rowan's dear friend, Frank, um, actually came up with a, a great name for the segment or this type of show. We could call it Idiomatic for the People. Hey. Ooh. Like uh, as a nod to uh, Georgia Boys uh, R.E.M. and their seminal album Automatic for the People. Mm-hmm. I had a little bit more of a self-deprecating name, which would be Idiots on idioms. <laughs> I think, I, you know what? I like both of those. I like both of those. I did not prepare a name for this segment. For sure. There's music in both of them. It's true. So. <laughs> there we go. But what, uh, so we decided to do this episode and then we split apart and solo style gave ourselves some homework. And one of the, one of the conversations we had was uh, about whether we should let each other know in advance which idioms we're bringing to the table, or whether we should surprise one another. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a mixed bag, right? <laughs> it's a mixed bag. Certainly yeah. a mixed bag. I, I know some of them, and then some of them I don't know. Uh, and I'm excited for, for all of them, actually. Well, without further ado, gentlemen, what do you say? Who shall be the first to cast their word hat <laughs> in, into the word ring? Well, well Ben, I mean, I, you, didn't, you didn't let us know any of yours, so I'm kind of uh, on the edge of my seat. <laughs> do you mind going first with one of your choices? Sure, absolutely. Uh, there is a phrase that is very common, even nowadays, and it is something that should be familiar, I think, to all native English speakers, regardless of the country in which you live. It's something, Rowan, that you and I have said before in casual conversation. It Mm -hmm. is to butter someone up. Oh, stop buttering me up. Noel, you and I have used this as well. Yeah, and it always kind of weirds me out a little bit because it makes me think of, you know, covering someone in delicious, spreadable butter. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're friends with someone who's, uh, you know, maybe a dinner roll or you're friends with a turkey, maybe, (laughs) you know, I don't know. Baste me. Yeah. (laughs) Please. It's implying a very intimate form of physical contact. It really really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's strange because— we we use this phrase and we all know roughly what it means. Flattery, right? Maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of somewhere between flattery and pandering. That's right. right. This is actually an ancient uh, concept. I had no idea because a lot of phrases, oddly enough, in English come from things like 
the Bible or translations of it, or they come from wars. However, to butter me up has uh, has a couple of different proposed origins, and one of the most solid or most widely accepted traces its origins back to ancient India, huh. which I did not see coming. So we're talking about ghee here. We're talking about ghee. Yes, well done. Clarified butter. Mm-hmm. Clarified. G-H-E-E. <laughs> so here's what would happen, guys. The idea is that in ancient India, people would lob small balls of butter, of ghee butter, at statues of various gods while asking them for favors. It's kind of an inducement, the same way that in some other religions you would offer uh, a favored treat of a god as a tribute, so like Mm -hmm. cigars or alcoholic beverages or uh, coins. You know, blood of an infant. Mm -hmm. Mm. Food, uh, the skull of an enemy, or a loved one. You know, there's a, there's a lot of variants. <laughs> so butter is largely innocuous in this this idea. And in Tibet, there's an even older custom of crafting butter sculptures when the new year rolls around. Uh, the sculptures are viewed as a way of bringing happiness and peace in the coming year. So when we say that we're buttering someone up, we are implying that either they we're making them a statue uh, every year or that we are giving them an offering in a transactional way because we want their favor. So the meaning wow. of the meaning of this has become uh, less blatant over time and now it just means being nice to someone but still I would argue with a soft implication soft and buttery mm-hmm, that there is <clears throat> something expected in return yeah so it's like paying tribute right mm-hmm. I mean because also I would imagine we've done episodes in the past about how butter was a very hot commodity right yeah margarine versus butter was a big thing too but I think you're talking about an older period of time, right? Yeah, and it was also the one about the Protestant Reformation about how those butter indulgences were such a thing because mm-hmm. it really pointed to the fact that, you know, the uh, powers that be didn't actually care about good works and being pious. It was more just a way of, like, depriving people of things and giving the rich what, what they wanted as long as they could pay for it. So uh, it's, it's interesting. That's it's, right. Butter has always been kind of a, a divisive and uh, – tasty treat. Even as recently as the 1870s, right? Because there was the law about how margarine had to be dyed pink so that people would know it was not true butter. That I think Wisconsin was one of the last holdouts for that. But yes, that's hmm. it. So butter me up. The next time you want to be one of those actually people <laughs> in a conversation at a cocktail party or a soiree of your choosing, mm-hmm. uh, come armed with that information and butter someone up by saying, I'm sure that you already know the etymology of to butter someone up, but here it is. Who would ever do that? Nobody who listens to the show or anyone sitting in this room would ever do an actually. Would you? Anyone? Butters what now? An actually. You would never go like, actually. You know, I wouldn't do it on purpose. I've been accused of doing the the glasses up the nose thing, but um, it's always with a, you take it with a grain of salt. That's true. Or a slab of butter. A ball of butter. (laughs) Yeah. With a ball of butter. You know, I think it's interesting, though, that you're really leaning into it being a mostly nice thing. I I take buttering someone up as definitely wanting something in return. As manipulative? <laughs> kind of. Right. Buttering uh, someone up, I always just read as, like, because when someone's like, why are you buttering me up? You know, that tone imp- the- implicates that 
It's inherently they, they disingenuous, know. right? Yeah, kind of. Oh, gee whiz. Or like uh, sort of akin to, and this is not one I, <laughs> I, was, I, don't, I don't believe this is one we I picked was searching for a pun today, earlier. but it's sort of akin to blowing smoke up someone's mm-hmm. backside. Sass. Right. Exactly. Which I wonder, since we, we can speculate on that one, I wonder uh, whether that has anything to do with uh, Kellogg and his overwhelming love of what he thought were medicinal enemas, including tobacco smoke. Is that right? Oh, yeah. He was all about enemas. Uh, I knew he was about enemas, but I did not Uh, know that uh, smoke was uh, was in the equation, was on the table. tobacco, Mm, water, weird, weird stuff. True enema of the state. (laughs) There we go. So what's what's next? We've cracked the case on buttering someone up. Uh, Well, I had one question. Yes, they make a... So you're saying they made statues in India? of uh, In Tibet, yes. In Tibet, rather? Okay. Of their gods? I'm just searching for a Ganesh joke somewhere. <laughs> somewhere in there, there's a Ganesh You just did fun. it. I you, guess you, that's you, it. You found your way I'm to I'm really it. sorry, no, folks. No, for this Ganesh. Is, this is what kind of—we have been accused of absolute dependence on dad jokes, so it's totally, totally part well, of the course. I have come to the right place. Yes, <laughs> welcome home. Uh, we have. I would say we've been be lauded. For uh, the our attempts at humor, lol did potato potato, my friends. <laughs> Are you saying that you get um like listeners uh writing YouTube comments being like, guys, enough with the dad jokes, okay? Well, not on YouTube, but on iTunes. Or but iTunes, that that is, a, it, is a, it is a terrible place. Don't ever go. Don't ever read the <laughs> iTunes reviews. I, I get more emails and tweets and stuff like uh, uh li- life was hopeless until uh, you guys did that run of puns. Uh, thank you. There's there's light at the end of the tunnel. Our oh. famous pun run. Mm-hmm. Oh, I heard about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the it was for charity. Our, uh, it's the for 2012 charity. famous pun run. Yes, classic. Yes. Things will never be. That was you guys. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Well, we had luchador mask on. Oh, it's part of it. That's sexy. <laughs> well, it seemed like a good idea at the time, and now it's tradition, and we yep. are bound by that. We are nothing if not fans of tradition. <laughs> so <laughs> same is. So what? Uh, what's next? What's next? Who's next? I don't know. Who wants to go next? You want to go next, sir? Mr. Sure. Owen newbie. Yeah. Okay. The first one I'm going to talk about is nip it in the bud. Nip it mm. in the bud. Come on, folks. We know what that means. Or if we don't, we at least have used it and thought that makes sense. Technically, it's a horticultural metaphor, alluding to putting a stop to something uh, in its early stages before it becomes, um, you know, negative. Before it grows out of control and and metastasizes and takes over your entire garden, right? Mm -hmm. Mm. And it's derived from, like, debudding of plants and that whole horticulture thing. Because you you cut the top, then it can't grow into a beautiful fruit. That's right. So when you say it, it sounds to me like whenever people use that, it's almost like a bit of a tongue-in-cheek way of trying to sound southern kind of. It's like, just nip it in the bud. It is. I feel very particularly southern. Actually, I I remember first hearing it um, from Barney Fife. In mm. uh, you know, Andy Griffith's show. That's that's strange <laughs> because I I would also assume, when, if I'm overthinking this, that in the original horticultural sense, it's still it doesn't kill the plant. The root still no, uh, it does not exists. kill the plant. It just stops it before it can reach its you know flowery climax. <laughs> okay, so if somebody is, for instance, say uh, collecting way too many. What what's a weird thing for someone to collect? Tails. Tails. They're collecting too many tails. T A I. T A I. Oh, yeah. L S. Okay. They're collecting too many tails and they say, okay, 14 is enough. It's getting weird. I'm going to nip it in the bud, but that means they're not necessarily right. going to get rid of the other 14. That's right? true. They're just nipping their weird tail collection in the bud before you know, people start calling that person, uh, you know, the tail freak of. 
of Cincinnati. <laughs> now, it's interesting. <laughs> the Cincinnati tail freak. The Cincinnati tail freak. There's actually even another version of this that is nip it in the bloom. Um, mm, and it was first uh, cited in a work by Henry Chettle in a book called uh, – a romance book called Piers Plans Seven Years Apprenticeship. I'm guessing that's Old English. Mm. It's a P-I-E-R-S-P-L-A – it almost sounded French for a second, but then it's got years spelled Y-E-R-E-S, which is very Canterbury tailish, if you mm-hmm. ask me. And that's from 1595. Whoa. That doesn't quite add up to Old English, though, does it, guys? I also found that this is one of those idioms that people tend to mispronounce or misunderstand. There are a lot of people listening yeah. now. Oh, I already know. What do they think it is? They think it's nip it in the butt. <laughs> is <laughs> that what you were going to yes, say? Yes, yes, you're correct. Right? Oh, yeah. Which is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, would, what would nip it in the butt mean? Does it what mean would you, that mean? Yeah. Just, just give it a little bite? Just a little tweak? Yeah. A little, little love bite? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, okay, so so I, I was actually wrong. It turns out um, Chettle was actually a contemporary of Christopher Marlowe, who was like a contemporary of William Shakespeare. So the old English uh, talk kind of that, that does hold true. But I believe the Canterbury Tales were a little earlier than that. Mm-hmm. But it does feel like right in that, in line with that. And that's where it first came from, mm. um, which is I didn't know either. But I'm just I'm just Googling away right now as we talk about this because you've you got my, you got I literally my mind did, whirling. I literally didn't take that note because I couldn't pronounce any of those <laughs> Words. That's fine. Just so you know, I, and, I also found that a well, lot. Well, no, I, I'm, I'm, that's the thing, though. I just want you to, to be very comfortable. A big part of this show is the fact that we don't try that hard to pronounce things correctly. Other than, other oh, than wonderful. Yes, because we do have uh, – we don't want to be vague about this. We want to be specific. Sure. Uh, we, we have a francophone in our super producer. Wonderful. So he, will, he will handle a lot of the French for us. Well, it's also because the French are the, the most judgy. <laughs> well, occasionally it's because <laughs> occasionally uh, he'll he'll do it with some reluctance because we have just mm. sprang it on him and said, "Hey, <laughs> Casey, here's a paragraph of French. Could you just translate this for us?" Yeah, but he you know he he understands the the game and he is he is taken to it um, over time and now he doesn't even make a face anymore when we ask him to uh, to help us pronounce. He makes things. a face on the inside. As long as I don't see it and it doesn't hurt my feelings, you are a champ. He is a he is a champion champion. among men. I also feel like it's largely about um, yeah. No, you're totally right. Like like getting rid of the um, early stages of something so it doesn't become something worse. But usually it's about a problem, right? Or it's Mm -hmm. about like a person. Or it's like we're gonna nip this in the bud. We're gonna like sort out this disagreement now before it gets out of control and everything gets blown out of proportion. That seems to be the way that I'm familiar with it being yeah, used, right? yeah for now, sure. Now I'm increasingly a fan, and thank you for this, Rowan, of uh, nip it in the butt. I am just going to see. <laughs> You've just been sitting over there. How long I can pull that off in normal conversation before sure. someone Put, has the they do the, they do the finger wag and yeah. the glasses, and they go, actually, it's, it's nip butt. it in the butt, and I learned that from Rowan Newby on Ridiculous History. Mm-hmm. I'll say, you know, I, I co-founded and host that show, and the, and they'll say, "Who are you?" And I will naturally, of course, as I always do at an airport, say, "My name is Casey Pegram," <laughs> and then proceed to wage mayhem across the, the terminal. But um, well, nipping it in the butt aside, uh, th- this is I, I think this is uh, I'm, I'm learning a lot. I don't know about you guys. You know, it's, every day is a shiny new penny, as uh, our, our cohort Holly Fry likes to say. Yeah, and every day is a winding road, as uh, Sheryl Crow once said. That's true. Mm-hmm. Only so, once, though. <laughs> well, I don't know. That that song was, was pretty hot. She, 
<laughs> no, I mean, she did it in one take. You think so? <laughs> no. Is that true? <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> this, this is also a sh- lies about Cheryl Crow podcast. Yeah, uh, watch out. She listens to this show oh, God. on a regular basis. Oh, no. She is also notoriously <clears throat> litigious. So. Yes. Incredibly touchy. Right. Sorry. And, and pedantic. Cheryl, I, <laughs> I'm just razzing you. I'm just nipping <laughs> you in the butt, okay? All of our iTunes reviews that are not favorable are, in fact, written by Cheryl Crow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has, like, a <laughs> click farm, like, in somewhere in, uh, you know, Taiwan. Right. There's just, like, 50 young children mm. just writing mean reviews about mm. ridiculous history. It's where most of her royalties have gone, actually. She's put wow. a lot of time in the... Wow. You have to at some Most point of your streams, her. too, are from her <laughs> click farm. Yes. <laughs> Gosh. But you know you've made it when you have, like, a, a, a true nemesis. And what better nemesis to have than multi-Grammy award-winning artist like Sheryl Crow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you guys, you made it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've made it. We've actually, made it. we're... We, we're all holding hands right now, by mm-hmm. the way. And we it might sound like we're joking, but I want to be completely sincere. I would like to confess something about my personal life. As a child, I had a dream, a recurring dream, where the violinist of Dave Matthews' band hated me. Somehow knew who I was and despised me. And eventually I thought maybe that's maybe that's correct. Maybe not just – like I didn't think specifically of a nemesis, but I thought, man – it would be amazing if I had a celebrity, not not a huge, huge celebrity, but mm, someone right. who was a celebrity sure. who just knew me and intensely and publicly didn't care how, for my how, whole vibe. How, how did this manifest itself? <laughs> did he swat you with his bow? In, uh, in the dream, which was a recurring dream, uh, again— I would go to a concert, a Dave Matthews concert. This mm. is when they were pretty big. Is that how you knew it was a dream? Because you'd, you'd never go to a Dave Matthews concert. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, That's some dream logic there, my friend. And I was, I was in the, um, I was in the concert. I was inevitably on a date. Uh, the person I, I was dating would change because I had this dream over a number of years. And then at some point in the concert, when they paused between songs, mm. the violinist of Dave Matthews' group would come up and say, uh, I know Ben Bolin is in the crowd tonight, and say horrible, <laughs> horrible stuff about me. This is a true story. Wow. And I used to think it meant that I was destined to go to a Dave Matthews concert, but I have not done so. I have an alternate theory. What's that? Um, well, first of all, I inexplicably know that the violinist for Dave Matthews' band's name is Boyd Tinsley. Well, um, and he passed away, didn't he? He did pass. Well, no, I think he actually just got kicked out of the band because it turns out he was uh, not a good guy. I think oh. he was accused of some, uh, some sexual harassment and um, and he got fired. Oh, man. I might in some incredibly useless way be capable of precognitive dreams. Possible. Um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, that Boyd Tinsley of the Dave Matthews Band represented your inner insecurities, Ben. And it manifested itself yeah, plus, in front of God and everyone. And, and, and you had to contend with that night after night after <laughs> night, like some kind of fresh personal hell. Yeah. Plus so, you went on a – you were saying it was always dates and that the – Girl changed every time. It's probably because you were taking her to Dave Matthews concert. She probably never saw you again. She's like, "What are you doing?" You uh, uh, for the record, I believe it was uh, Leroy Moore who actually passed away in the, mm. the, the clarinetist. R.I.P. R.I.P. Indeed. So, mm. so back to the subject of the podcast. Thank you for joining me on that strange dream journey, guys. I hope I don't have that dream again. Or How long has it. it been? It has been at least at least a decade. Then you're cured. We say that now. <laughs> <laughs> there's, o- there's really only two outcomes here. One, that 
you start having that dream again <laughs> horribly in, in abundance, or you never have it again because you've finally gotten this off your chest. Yeah. And now you're you're saved. What would be the modern day equivalent of the violinist for Dave Matthews Band? I know they're still around, but would it be John like, Mayer of Dave Matthews Band? There you go. Okay. <laughs> or anybody in Coldplay aside from the main guy. Yeah. Are you saying like the equivalent meaning another violinist? Yeah, another a, sort of ancillary player right. in like a very like contemporary giant uber popular jam band. Oh. Who, who might possibly start you appearing could, in Ben's dreams and talking smack to him. We may have cursed we may have cursed me. It may just be Cheryl Crow next time. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the guitarist for like Rage Against the Machine or Slash, you know, one of those um, oh, yeah. like vice presidents of the bands essentially <laughs> where they're as famous but not really, you know. Mm. You'll just, all of them will meet you like uh, at a dinner table. It'll be Slash, Keith Richards. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know. Well, as long as it's not <laughs> you guys. I'll, I will. Hey. I will carry on. No, no, we'll, we will have your back, sir. Thanks, we will. Man. We will fight off this horde of uh, of, of, tra- <laughs> of trash talking Some dream villains. Yeah. Weird, bad uh, band dream villains. But hey, we should probably nip this in the bud oh. and hear from Noel. Well oh, okay. done. Is yeah. it my turn? Yeah, Is it yeah, my yeah, turn? Yeah. Pretty good. Okay, right? that was pretty good. Was very, very, it was absolutely proper use of that expression. And now I we, we actually know know a little bit more about where it comes from. So um, here's mine. <laughs> the funny thing about a lot of these phrases is out of context, like you you get so used to hearing them that you never even think about what the words even really mean, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big part of this. So for me, it was basket case, right? So mm-hmm. I we all know how basket case is used. It's referring to someone that doesn't have their, their life together or that's right. like having a crisis or whatever mm-hmm. you're saying. Or you can say it about yourself. It's like, oh, I'm such a basket case today. I'm just, nothing's Un- going right for me. Disorganized. Disorganized, but more specifically, it's like more of having like a, a bit of a mental health breakdown. I think we can all remember the uh, the seminal, I've been using that word a lot in this episode today, but I'm going to keep rolling with it. Um, it. 1990s Green Day song, Basket Case, just about to say. where he talks about how, you know, he gives himself the creeps, his mind plays tricks on him, yep. he's cracking up, mm-hmm. he thinks he's had enough, uh, he's paranoid, or he might just be stoned. Um, but he's having a hard time. Actually, very good lyrics. Billy Joe yeah. Armstrong, in his faux British accent, he's <laughs> having a really hard time. <laughs> that he um, has just... He has just... <laughs> That that. All the way to the back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really has. So here's the problem that I had when I started mm-hmm. really thinking about before doing the research about basket case. It, I think of the word case and I think of it as like a like a suitcase. So I'm like, but isn't a basket already a case for things? Sure. It's is sort it? of a wicker case, right? It's a basket. It's kind of uh, like saying ATM machine. So when I thought exactly, oh. it's it's a little redundant. But so I thought maybe it just meant a useless thing or a redundant, silly, ridiculous thing. Like right. who needs a case for a basket? A basket's already its own case. It's like having a bag for a bag. You're sure. blowing my mind right it's now. It's a waste. Turns out nothing to do with any of that. Oh, okay. Absolutely nothing to do with any of that. Huh. Um, the origins of the term basket case date back to uh, 1919 during World War One, and it was um, a term that was used to describe um, a particularly brutal type of wound uh, or series of wounds experienced by soldiers. Oh, no. The, um, the dreaded quadruple amputation. I think I remember The this. quadruple yeah. amputation. So you've mm-hmm. lost your arms and your legs and are therefore in need of being uh, carried around in a basket. Therefore, you are a basket case. Um, and it, of course— is, is morphed over time, and we'll get to that. But here's the thing. It actually 
has been consistently um, denied by army officials that there ever were any basket cases. So here's here's the thing. Early in World War I, right? Well, and it it goes on. So the Surgeon General of the Army um, uh, in 1919, the United States Surgeon General said that there were no foundation for any of the stories um, that have been circulated because this term kind of had, had been making the rounds, and he uses the term basket case to describe a thing that he says doesn't exist. So he acknowledges the term and its existence, but he says, but there there are no such cases uh, as as would be required to be carried in baskets, right? So um, it's a paradox. It's a bit of a paradox. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we've got World War II, and the term kind of stuck around in, mm. in the zeitgeist. And yet again, Surgeon General in 1944 says, quote, there is nothing to rumors of so-called basket cases, and then goes on to say cases of men with both arms and legs amputated. Um, so here's the interesting part. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there was a case of a Canadian soldier that is pretty well documented who did experience quadruple amputations, but he actually went on to lead a very productive life, and he was fitted with prosthetic legs and even um, had a uh, p- prosthetic arm um, fitted to him that allowed him to be able to write and lived a very normal and productive life. And this comes from a fantastic article on grammarphobia.com that refers to the basket case myth. Um, so obviously the term evolved over time and became much more of an expression referring to mental health and someone who, as we said at the top, is experiencing mm-hmm. trauma or anxiety or you know having some kind of breakdown, right? Mm-hmm. So after World War II, the term stopped being used to refer to these uh, kind of imaginary basket cases because there was really no proof of them ever having existed. But considering, I don't know, Ben, you're you're a bit of a war historian yourself uh, in terms of your interests. Uh, can't you imagine that there must have been at least a handful of cases where someone had been injured so badly by explosions that they may have had to have? I mean, this doesn't seem mm. a little fishy. This official line was like, this never mm-hmm. happened. Well, here's the grisly thing. It probably did happen, but people's odds of surviving that's that right. injury were that's much that, lower. That's right. That's why the Canadian case was uh, noteworthy. That's mm-hmm. a good point. But that's an extraordinary story, man. Yeah, it is. And, and then uh, somehow it just kind of, like things do, um, evolved to a completely different meaning entirely because of the fact mm-hmm. that these cases didn't exist, but the mm-hmm. term was still floating around in that zeitgeist. People kind of started adapting it and referring to people that didn't have their act together. But then it's still it's still used today. And the interesting thing is, it obviously, is a little bit of a in poor taste kind of term, no matter yeah. how you use it's it, a right? Pejorative. It's a pejorative, especially if you're talking about any person with a disability. And then when you apply it to somebody that's having trouble psychologically, that's also not very nice. Mm-hmm. So it's actually become more in style to use it to refer to things and nations as opposed to people. And there's a really interesting article in The Guardian. Um, I think it was a letter to the editor, and it's called Basket Case, The Case Against. And it talks about how it is just lazy writing, um, and it should not be used and that it, it then it goes and cites how often it is used. So apparently um, the sun in the UK thinks that Greece, Zimbabwe, and Spain are basket cases and that Prince William could have been one, but then he married Kate Middleton, so now he's he's okay. He's not a basket case. <laughs> um, and then you've got the Times that believes Greece and Argentina are basket cases. Africa 
once was, but now isn't. They now refer to it as a breadbasket. And hmm. then um, they also talk about particular governments that are basket cases. Companies too, right? Companies that are basket cases. Um, and this this uh, writer makes the case that it's just bad writing and that it doesn't have any metaphorical power anymore and to just let it go. And I would be inclined to agree. In some aspect, they got that from George Orwell's rules of writing. He is the guy who famously said, never use an idiom, uh, figure of speech, or phrase that you are used to seeing in print. And uh, he broke that rule often, <laughs> just by the way. Yeah. And, and this uh, this commentary was by a writer named David Marsh. Um, and Ben, as you said at the top of the podcast, war often brings new idioms into circulation. And it makes sense because you have people of different ethnicities mm -hmm. mixing under times of great duress. And you've got a lot of like kind of phrases co that commingle mm -hmm. and take on new meaning and get adopted, you know, by different cultures. And um, I think we had a couple that we want to just throw out real quick. Yeah? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. There's, uh, for instance, boondocks, which now is meant to indicate a place in the middle of nowhere, right? Uh, the boondocks originally was a phrase in Tagalog in the Philippines, and it just meant mountain. Or there's, uh, what's another one? Pipsqueak, right? That's one. Pipsqueak's an interesting one because that was actually a very particular type of small German gun that was used in trench warfare during World War One. And then you have, speaking of trench warfare, the trench coat was very specifically one a, a, a garment that was worn originally in trench warfare. So that was a thing they didn't have a name for, and then they called it a trench coat. Hmm, interesting. I mean, you call pipsqueaks, uh, uh, you refer to someone as a pipsqueak if they're kind of just a nerdy, precocious kid now, yeah, right? or in, in yeah. any way diminutive and not worthy of uh, your respect, right? Sure. That reminded me of another one, uh, flea bag, actually, as in like a flea bag hotel. Oh, I missed that phrase. Yeah. Refers to a grimy and just unsuitable sleeping arrangement, you know. The word comes from uh, slang actually used by soldiers in the uh, trenches, referring to their sleeping bags, so. Uh, yeah, that would have often been absolutely infested with fleas yeah. under these horrible conditions. So, you know, from uh, awful circumstances, sometimes come fun idioms. Yes, mm. yes. And fun idioms. <laughs> fun idioms. Fun idioms. Actually, yeah. <laughs> We've, coined <laughs> We've coined it. We've coined it. We have tintinabulated that one, right? <laughs> uh Speaking D of Downton Abbey, did what did you say? I said <laughs> tintinabulated. So tintinabulation is um, one of my favorite examples of how you can simply create a word out of more or less whole cloth. Mm -hmm. I believe it was Edgar Allan Poe who used who coined the term tintinabulation to mean the sound of bells ringing. Whoa! Yeah, just the the sound of ringing bells or the sound after a bell has been rung. He just made it up. He just styled on it, or as we've hmm. said before on this show, he churchified it. Ooh. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? 
Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. This idea of bags, flea bags, mm -hmm. leads to an excellent segue. I have, I have one that will be uh, familiar to you, Nolan, to you, Casey, and perhaps to you, longtime ridiculous historians or fans of other shows. It is the phrase, to let the cat out of the bag. Or the badger. Oh, a classic. <laughs> yes, yes. Or, or in our case, uh, the badger. So going back to what you said earlier, Noel, about how it's strange that certain phrases can just feel normal because of the context in which they occur. Let the cat out of the bag is something that everyone who speaks English typically understands, right? To mm -hmm. reveal a secret of some sort. Uh, sometimes an unpleasant truth, sometimes a pleasant surprise. But when you think about it, it's really strange. Like, when's the last time you walked around with a cat in a bag? 
or someone was like, hey, will you hold this bag for me? <laughs> Be careful. It has a cat it's in it. It's full of cats. It's yeah. full <laughs> of cats. There's no time to explain. It feels like a very old person uh, bad habit. <laughs> you know, it might stem from like a granny who was uh, going through a serious episode of dementia and uh, had to put her kitty cat in a bag. Or, or yeah. simply refused to pay for one of those cat uh, carriers. Right. And so I'm not going to pay for one of those. I don't know. Waste $15. I got this perfectly good bag. <laughs> I tend to uh, I tend to picture the bag as being a pillowcase and the act being much more of like, a, mm. I'm hunting cats. Ooh. Oh, And yeah. I'm going to put style. the cat in the bag and then I'm going to hit the bag until oh, the cat no. is dead. Oh. Drowning kittens or mm, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm, gummo style. Mm, not well, good. Well, luckily, it's... Quite possibly not that dark. I have, I have to say quite possibly. <laughs> so the first recorded use of this phrase. It's positive. The cat got out of the bag. There we go. <laughs> the, the first recorded use of it comes from this book review in 1760 in London Magazine. And the reviewer is complaining about this book that they've read. And they say, we could have wished that the author had not let the cat out of the bag. And so in this context, it seems like it still has a present-day meaning, which is mm-hmm. that the author had not spoiled a surprise or secret in the book. Uh, but this was used other times in print, and there are a few origin stories about how it came about. I'll give you guys the first one and then <laughs> – Tell you why I think it makes no sense. Uh, So the first one is this idea that goes all the way back to open air markets in Britain and the concept of uh, unscrupulous tradesmen or con artists. The the thing is that they would trade livestock, right, including pigs, which were a big deal at the time. And people would sometimes sell piglets in bags or, as the expression goes, pigs in a poke. A poke would be another huh. word for bag. Not a blanket? Not a, not a blanket Different. Yet. Okay. They didn't get no, there it's a pillowcase. Right. <laughs> not so, as delicious. Not, well, you know, to each their own, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's a corn dog, actually. <laughs> yeah. A right. pig in a pillowcase. I'm sorry, go on. No, that's great. Is that really a term? <laughs> no. Oh, man. It is as of right now. All right. Tintinabulate it. So. The idiom that's related to is when a pig is offered, open the poke, meaning that one should always check and inspect what you have before you leave, after you buy it. Don't buy some mystery thing in a bag just because someone told you what it was. Hmm. That concept or figure of speech dates back uh, to at least the 16th century. I forgot we're an audio podcast, so everybody, I'm sort of futilely gesturing with my thumb over my right shoulder for some reason. That's where the 1600s are, guys. <laughs> well, now, now you made it you know, audible, so we can but, picture it now. There we go. Casey can throw in some sound effects, too. Some, or like a... <laughs> 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 Thanks. You've saved the show. So the idea is that these con artists would, instead of giving somebody a piglet sold in a bag, they would capture and sell a much less valuable feral cat. This was a profitable practice for the con artist, but either way, the moment of the revelation, uh, the origin of the phrase in this story is uh, that someone would get home and they would open the bag and this, we can only imagine, incredibly irritated cat would burst forth (laughs) and wreak havoc, you know, uh, become an agent of chaos. But this doesn't really make sense because even the largest cat is going to weigh less than a, a, a pig, right? True. Right? Like a, yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert piglet handler. 
Yeah. It's not in my skill set yet. Your cats are pretty big. They're almost piglet-sized. Oh, I think, yeah. They're sort of luxurious, furry, soft piglets. Yeah, hey. And I've seen some emaciated pigs out there, too. So maybe there's a Venn, (laughs) there's a sweet spot. There's a Venn diagram here. Or maybe they made it a pig and a cat. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> that rhymes. That was very Dr. Seuss. Yeah. They made it a pig and a cat, and I'll leave it at that. A, Woohoo! A Casey, more sound effects, please. Going. <laughs> uh, so there's, but there's the thing. All right. So this doesn't really make sense because additionally, pigs and cats make audibly different noises. We can only assume that they would probably not be chilling in a bag. So we would hear some squeeze, some oinks, et cetera. Mm. And then we'd hear some loud hisses and meows. And, uh, you know, that seems easy to differentiate. But there's the other idea that it comes from a Spanish uh, phrase, the Spanish equivalent, uh, dar gato por libre, uh, to give a cat for a hare, because rabbits, sorry, H-A-R-E, rabbits are commonly eaten during the 14th, 15th century. Cat and a rabbit are more similar in size. And it seems more plausible to pull the switcheroo this way. But... The third theory is that sailors would get in trouble in the Royal Navy and the Royal Navy would keep them in line with a a cat of nine tails and that this was originally kept in a red sack that people could – that everybody was aware of, you know, kind of a warning hanging out in public view. And then when someone was going to be punished, the captain would order that they be trotted out. Everybody on the ship has to join on deck. And then boom, out comes the red cloth bag. And then boom, out comes the cat of nine tails. And then whoopsh, whoopsh, rinse and repeat. So that's a little more grisly. I'm also miming taking out a cat of nine (laughs) tails in a bag. You know, that's interesting, Ben, because they both imply a negative thing being released that can wreak some havoc uh, when it's let out into the world in one. So they they both kind of hold true. I have one quick question, Ben. Yeah. Uh, You talked about the original let the the pig out of the poke or whatever Mm -hmm. was about um, examining a purchase you're going to make and how it would be – smart to do that. I think I know where you're going. It's kind of the opposite of uh, looking a gift horse in the mouth, right? Because that's impolite. If you're like examining a horse's teeth that was given to you as a gift, that's a Mm no-no, even though it would be prudent. Maybe, you know, even Mm -hmm. if a horse is a lot of responsibility, even if it was a gift, I would want to make sure I wasn't getting some kind of trash, you know, diseased (laughs) horse. Yeah. I want a horse that goes to the dentist mm-hmm. regularly. Well, you Absolutely. can tell the age of Otherwise. the horse by its teeth. Oh, okay. I think is one of the one of the factors. Or just place. I don't want a sickly horse because then yeah. I have to dispose of the horse. I might get close to the horse and become its pal Yeah, and go on adventures. And then yeah. all of a sudden the horse drops dead and I'm, I'm left sad and alone yeah. without a horse. I want to take a, stick my head all the way in that mouth. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that was it. And not to kick a dead horse, uh-huh. if you will. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, – <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who's giving away horses these That's days? That's the thing. Though, I want to be at that point in my life <laughs> where someone's like, hey, man, I have this horse that I thought of you. <laughs> I don't know what I would do with it, but I'd it would go, be interesting. It would definitely be a, wow, thanks. Do you, do you also give me a farm? Nay. Nay. It's like somebody giving you, like, here's a, a field for you to cultivate and farm and <laughs> right. take care of and water. And it's an obligation to scout yeah. a gift. But, <laughs> exactly. But that's the... It's a whole new career. <laughs> like, yeah. The last thing about this uh, cat and the bag mm-hmm. idiom 
once you guys can tell I went on a little bit of a rabbit hole on, is the idea that it is a thing that cannot be reversed. It is very difficult to get that cat back in the bag, right? It's a Pandora's right. box or Pandora's jar situation. Well, Pandora's bag. Pandora's bag. Thank you. Pandora's basket. <laughs> Pandora's <laughs> basket case bag. So now oh, we are now we are armed with that, and I'm liking the uh, – I, I think I took us in a weird animal direction, but I was just captivated <laughs> because I really wanted to know if there had ever been – you know, some prominent myth or some real life historical occurrence mm. wherein someone was like, all right, guys, I've got this bag. I think there's a cat in it. This Who's neighbor- with me? Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of was, I guess. <laughs> cat out of the bag, everybody. You heard it here first was the OG spoiler alert. Ah. So, yeah. That's right. the cool way of saying it now. But cat's mm-hmm. out of the bag. No one likes to say that, you know, when you ruin the ending of Sixth Sense. <laughs> well, cats out of the... All right, Grandpa. More, more like the, uh, the plots out of the bag. Plots out of the bag, right. Ugh. Yeah, because that, uh, that guy's Bruce Willis the whole time. <laughs> That's it's true. Always sunny in Philadelphia. He was Haley Joe Osmond and Bruce Willis the whole time. I've just got to say it. I, I saw an episode of Future Man. You guys know that oh, show? Oh, I thought you were just about to ruin the ending of Sixth Sense. <laughs> I just got to say no, this. I think that's past the statute of limitation. On oh, spoilers yeah. way established uh, on this and other shows. Mm-hmm. But still, this is Wait, what were you going to say? Well, Haley Joel Osment is still acting. Yeah. He was in Silicon Valley. He looks very, very different. He looks he has, very different. He's a very, um, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way. He's got, he still has the same Facial yeah, features yeah, in mm-hmm. the same arrangement, but his his but his now head is his larger, head grew. Big. but the but the face is just kind of plopped right. in the middle <laughs> of his head. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a, yeah, I think he's really funny and, and I a think really he's a sweet great guy. Actor. He's on Comedy Bang Bang a lot, and he um, was on the Comedy Bang Bang TV show, and they kind of played into that uh, slightly odd look because he plays a character called mm-hmm. Slow Joey. Oh, <laughs> and, no. um, so I'm. I mean, I didn't. That wasn't my idea. But you know, no, it's, he, it's, it's he definitely has a sense of humor. And oh, absolutely. I mean, like him on Silicon Valley is. A similar kind of, uh, you know, harebrained character. Isn't right? he also kind of a weird bacchanalian, kind of debauched, weird Hollywood execy type guy who uh, is always he, drugging and boozing and womanizing? Did I make that up? Um, I kind of. He seems more like dopey and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as opposed to the other guy who's like that, who's like really maniacal. And okay. Like evil, okay. You know, I think I'm confusing characters. Well, yeah. Haley Joe Osment, if you're, if you're listening. Is he on Future Man? Is that what you brought yeah, up? Yeah, he's Man? on Future Man. Uh, he is, uh, without spoiling the thing, he's also unhinged in Future Man. I was, oh. I was just watching I was surprised because wow. I didn't believe it was him at first. I've uh, never seen it. Uh, you know, it's worth your time. It's, 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 it's I'll funny. watch it in the future, man. All right. Well, let the cat out of the back, Rowan Newbie. What else do you have for us? <laughs> hey, you know, both of you two, I like the cut of y'all's jib. Uh, it's true. This jib right here? That jib? This whole thing? Uh-huh. The jib over there, too. I stay jibbing. I see it. No. You guys have heard this probably. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you can assume. Mainly on the Sopranos. Mainly on the Sopranos, for sure. <laughs> it's actually from uh, maritime traditions. It's as old as, like, 17th century, 18th century. It's uh, referencing the triangular-shaped sail known as the jib. Some ships actually have more than one jib sail. They all have their own style, and I guess that kind of refers to when you say, I like the cut of your jib, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I like, I, like, I like your style, man. I like your vibe. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So this is actually, the jib is the fabric, the sail. Ex- exactly. Okay. Oh, and another thing, and I don't know if this was verified or anything, but I read that uh, because these jib sails look 
vaguely like a nose, it could refer very specifically to someone's facial features. Oh, yeah, weird. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah. That's a very specific compliment to give someone. Yeah, right? I feel like you have to know someone pretty well. For sure. To be like, hey. Hey, Jimmy Durante, <laughs> I like the cut of your jib. And, you know, that's a joke for the elders. No, everyone Google Jimmy Durante. Is he right the guy now. with the big nose? He's the guy with the big nose. Come on, guys. <laughs> Doesn't he say like ha-cha-cha-cha or something like he that? He says ha-cha-cha-cha. Did I make that up? No, What's you that? did not. Yeah. Isn't his big nose isn't also quite red, largely probably due to burst blood vessels from it's, alcoholism? It's bulbous from the gin. Yes. <laughs> gin face up for yeah, days. That yeah, makes sense. <laughs> so wait, what is a um, jib sale, though? We know it's a sale. Is it, it – you said they have multiple it, ones? It, well, it's, a, a, I'm assuming, affiliated with the mast of the boat. So, which is the big wooden middle part that then oh, hoists okay. the jib sail. Uh, okay. I don't quote me on that, but this is what I took in when I was, uh, you know, scrambling to learn the <laughs> etymology of your chip. And I'm surprised to learn that there's this um, nasal illusion mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to start calling people's noses jibs. For sure. Keep your jib clean. Keep your jib clean, man. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Why are you being so with nosy? Don't be, be. Don't be putting your jib in other people's, you know, jibs. <laughs> Biz? And, Do you remember Jib Jab? Okay, we're going off tangent. No, no, no. Now I'm just going to replace the word nose with jib every time I every time the opportunity presents. This along with nip it in the butt is setting up my next. Oh my god, butts and noses. Butts and noses. And then that's that's a perfect setup for uh, a brown nose. Of course. Oh. Think about that. Which is kind of one that I thought not. about earlier. That, that oh, is, well, that's disgusting. Fair enough. That's disgusting. That is disgusting. I feel like that because it refers to clear. the poo on the nose because you're kissing someone's booty so hard. Mm-hmm. Well, you know the rest is obvious, but and that's why I didn't actually choose that one because it seems obvious. Well, there's someone maybe who has a uh, who's just having a uh, <laughs> the more you know moment happening <laughs> right now. Go, right, oh, brown. Right, the light bulb over their head just bursts. They're like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> Brown, nose, got it, poop. (laughs) (laughs) I want to check in real quick. Casey, are any of these surprising you so far? Uh, I hate to be the um actually guy, but no, not not so far, no. Well, hold on, Casey. (laughs) You didn't know the history of all these. You assumed. This is an educational program. (laughs) This is true, this is true. (laughs) Well, Well, we still luckily have one more shot to uh, surprise and unactually <laughs> are, again, very beloved super Ooh, producer. unactually. Is that, can that be our next podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Love unactually. Love unactually. <laughs> so, That's a good idea. Noel, our, our hopes for this episode today rest with you, my friend. Oh, man, that's a lot of pressure. Um, and I'm struggling right now because our, our internet has, has just abandoned me. It has forsaken me. We um, don't use that while recording. Well, that is a no, lie. I mean, this I, is straight from our endless Jeopardy here, brains. Oh, well, that's that's <laughs> very, very nice. Uh, very nice of you to think that, Rowan Newby. But, but alas, that is not the case. Although, to be fair, Ben and I are the only ones with laptop machines in front of us right now. Yes. Rowan is pure pen and paper. I I'm a moron. Pen, I paper, and brains. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what Rowan is. 
tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Are you doing ice ice baby or under pressure? You know what, man? Let's be honest. <laughs> Vanilla ice ripped it off. They're just kind of intertwined at this point, right? He has yeah. that great moment in that VH1 uh 
whatever the show was where he tries to Behind explain the music the, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, where he tries to explain they're different. Right. Because he says there's you, a snare. The, yeah. No, <laughs> no this one like, is no, there's, there's like an extra an extra blip. Ding 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 ding. There's a little extra upbeat or downbeat or whatever. Wow. Yeah, no. well, you guys, I I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to take on this responsibility. Right. And it's actually really serendipitous. Um, I I did know what uh, uh, our pal Rowan was going to do um, with the cut of the jib and all, but I didn't actually do any research into it. I had no idea that it was a nautical term. As it turns out, mine is also a nautical term, um, and it involves not the jib or the, the sail itself. And it's actually really interesting because – I think that these things sound uh, like they should be flipped. Mine is three sheets to the wind. And as it turns out, in nautical parlance, uh, a sheet, which you would think would mm-hmm. be the sail, mm-hmm. not so. Oh, what is it? It's the line that tethers huh. the sail. Interesting. Okay. Right. And so, this, this commonly understood language. nowadays to mean someone is very inebriated. And very inebriated. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't know uh, this one at all. I didn't Weird. even have any okay. inkling. It's one of those ones that I just chose blindly mm-hmm. to use. Um, I, sometimes I would even go so far as to say more than three sheets, you know? Oh, you have for your sure. Four sheets, your seven sheets, your ten sheets, your fifteen sheets to the wind. Forty-two, your, 42 sheets to the wind. Your target linen department to the wind. <laughs> exactly. Your blotto. Your Bed, stinko. Bed, bath, and beyond to the wind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're a friend um, of Phillips or whatever. Fr- yeah, so, uh, uh, Rowan, you may not have, uh, I don't know how uh, much of a uh, steadfast fan of Ridiculous History you are, but we did do an episode where we kind of listed through Benjamin Franklin's expressions for being drunk, and Ben just listed a few there. Great. Um, but one that Benjamin Franklin did not come up with is... Uh, Three sheets to the wind, um, and this is this is so crazy to me because yeah, these were not uh, sheets or sails as you might think. There wasn't even wind. No, well, there, there there hopefully was, or else <laughs> the, the ship's not going to go. Oh right, so uh, right. Lines. Sorry, they were lines, yeah. ropes. Sometimes they were chains, and they're the things. If you've ever been on a sailboat or a sloop of mm-hmm. some sort, or perhaps a barge. No barges don't have uh, sails. I don't know. I'm not a. I'm a. I'm a bit of a. You're not a. Boat I'm, a la- guy. I'm a landlubber. Is what they call that. Um, yeah, they are affixed to the bottom corners of the sails to hold them in place so that they catch the wind. Mm-hmm. And again, if there's any um, sailor types out there, forgive my ignorance. I'm doing the best I can, but I believe a sail would require three sheets to be properly right. fastened and, uh, and you know, tightened so that you could actually manipulate it and put it, um, you know, in the direction of the wind so it catches the wind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but again, this to the wind business doesn't even refer to the wind that's catching the sails. It refers to the sheets or the lines being so loose strange. or in the wind. Huh. You so ever, you know, that, like if you ever— ship can't- be steered. It can't be steered. Not only that, it, it it's going to be uh, erratic mm-hmm. because the the sail is there and it's catching some of the wind, but it's flopping around oh, like crazy. And so, in sort of a resembling a, a drunk person stumbling around. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. So um, there are actually variations on this, right? So if you're one sheet to the wind. You're gonna not be quite as tight. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have a little bit of a lilt, yeah, you're, you're a little tipsy. bit of yeah, a little tipsy. That's yeah. right. Um, and then if you got two sheets, you're kind of in the middle there. You, and if you got three sheets, mm, you're not looking good. Not you're, looking you're, good. You're, you're embarrassing yourself, mm-hmm. Dad. Go home. Your boat has sprung a leak. It really and has. it will sink yes. if you do not get a, a an Uber boat home. <laughs> yes, that's, also, that's the thing. And if it's not, it should yeah. be. Also, side note. 
Um, in the time of F. Scott Fitzgerald, the phrase tight was used to mean getting drunk. That's right. That's oh. right. Huh. Yeah. That is a, that is a very, um, very good addition there, Ben. Um, so it's interesting because this expression uh, goes back to 1891 in a book by Pierce Egan called Real Life in London. And it um, this is out of context, and I'm getting this from an article on phrases.org.uk, which is fantastic for these etymological explorations. Um, and the quote that they cite out of context is fantastic. Old waxen bristles is about three sheets in the wind. It was old wax and I guess old wax and bristles. How did that old everybody sea was, marm get in here? Yeah, exactly. Everybody was old wax and bristles. Old wax and bristles. Old wax and bristles. And I like it's three sheets in the wind, not to the wind in that phrase. Yeah, exactly. And Whoa. then, and then it, 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 it got uh, changed to to the wind. And yeah, and then in this article as well, they talk about the scale of drunkenness that sailors mm-hmm. had where, like I said before, three sheets was completely stupefied, falling over yourself drunk. You tipsy, like you said, Rowan, was one sheet. Mm-hmm. And then uh, or uh, a sheet in the wind's eye. And actually, they don't list a two sheets, but surely two sheets was the middle ground. Mm-hmm. Has to be, right? Because that's going to give you some stability on that sail, but not enough. And they even have right. another example using a windmill, like a Dutch windmill, Holy which sheet. would have four. That's good, man. They would have four, um, oh, what do you call them? Tur- turbans? No, that's not one wing on a turbine is not a turbine. The turbine, turbine is, well, they some some people in the engineering community pronounce it turbine. Oh my bad. I know it's true. I only know this because I used to work for public radio and I covered the nuclear industry. Huh. And I would interview these uh, engineering nuclear nerds, and oh. they would call them turbines. And they did an um actually. They, and I'm doing an um actually oh my to gosh. you right now. And I'm pro nerd, so I, I recuse love, myself. I love nerds, from this <laughs> and I'm of, saying that this sort of <laughs> derogatory no, speech. No, that is not what I'm doing. <laughs> all Ben. I love nerds. How dare um, you? I, uh, there are some. Okay, you guys are really making me dig a hole for myself. Here. No, no, no. But here we go. So yeah, if you have four of these, um, you know, let's call them. What do you call one? thing in a propeller one part of a propeller blades blades, blades. Blade. Oh, the blades. we got Gosh, this i am not doing well today, guys. yeah so if you have like um four of them right so mm-hmm. if uh one of them is out of commission mm-hmm. you got three mm-hmm. that's going to be a very unstable turbine uh, <laughs> right I mean, for sure. So three sheets to the wind. Anyway, so there's more. Um, It actually uh, carries on in literary history um, in a novel called The Fisher's Daughter by a writer named Catherine Ward. And here's another quote from this uh, phrases.org article from this work. Uh, Wolf replenished his glass at the request of Mr. Blust, who instead of being one sheet in the wind, was likely to get to three before he took his departure. Hmm. Right? Yeah, there wow. we go. That makes sense. It's beautiful. Honestly. So again, it's a really beautiful expression. It is a beautiful expression. At this point, we're still three sheets in the wind. And then we have the the modern three sheets to the wind that comes in um, a book called The Journal of Reverend Francis Asbury that talks about this gentleman's travels through Kentucky. Through Kentucky hmm. in the United States. But yet, this is an Englishman and the writer um, also English. And this is the line from this work. The tavern keepers were kind and polite as southern folks should be, and as southern folks ought not to be. They were sometimes two sheets in the wind. Oh, that liquid fire! 
That's great. That's so great. Not to crib too hard from the incredible phrases.org article, but uh, it goes on to talk about how Robert Louis Stevenson um, really popularized this phrase for a wider audience because obviously Treasure Island was like a blockbuster of a novel. Gave us all kinds of pirate parlance, right? Like Shiver Me Timbers and talking about uh, searching for treasure. You got your ex that marks Mm -hmm. the spot, the image of a pirate with a peg leg and a a parrot, you know, that whole, all that imagery. All of that, all that imagery comes from from Robert Louis Stevenson, mm. and the quote that he uses with this phrase uh, goes back to the old way, uh, which is maybe you think we are all a sheet in the wind's eye, but I tell ye, I was sober. <laughs> and there's a lot of great pirate slang in Treasure Island. I think there are also some arguments about how much of that was Stevenson going this is what I think a pirate will sound like and how much of it was actual <laughs> pirate speech. I, and you know what? We could do a great piece on genuine pirate speech because a lot of oh, these yeah. guys tended to be polyglots. You know, they met mm-hmm. so many other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we continue, Casey, could we have a, a drum roll, please? Did Noel save the day? Was this a phrase that you were unaware of, origin story-wise? Yes. Casey on the case. Yeah, oh! We did it. <laughs> I did it. Oh, oh wow. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like that. Just kidding, guys. Just kidding. We all did it. Everyone brought amazing stuff to the table. Thank you so much, Rowan Newby of Pitches Podcast fame. Check it out. I think it's on SoundCloud now, but soon it, it will be is. on iTunes and all the places you find podcasts. At Pitches Podcast. At Pitches Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, not for the kiddos. It's uh it it gets it gets we pretty pretty some. blue at times. <laughs> it gets a little blue. A little that's blue. Better. That's a good way a to put blue. it. Well, if you want your kids to have an accelerated learning course <laughs> in the ways of uh, in effing and Jeffin, uh-huh. and effing and Jeffin, and, and languish. Yeah, it's not that bad, you guys. <laughs> well, if you like the cut of ridiculous history's jib, oh. uh, we oh. imagine that you uh, you will go bananas. We didn't look into what that means, but you will go bananas oh, over pitches. So check it out. As Noel said, don't hesitate. Get thee to the internet. In the meantime, yeah, thanks so much for coming, Rowan. Really been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure here, too. It's always a pleasure hanging out. Rowan, mm-hmm. uh, just like me and Ben, we, we always say this. I think we say it so much people might think we're not telling the truth. But I swear, <laughs> we are, in fact, all friends outside of the show and we hang out. And um, it was nice to have you uh, enter the uh, the shipping container, uh, the <laughs> podcastosphere, um, uh, with, uh, with Ridiculous History. Yeah, I'd actually like to get a picture of you, Rowan, if you're comfortable with that. So we can put a face to a name and we'll pop it up on my Instagram, which is at uh, Ben Bullen. Maybe we'll get our ridiculous history folks to retweet it or I'm sorry, re it. Is that a thing? Don't you have it has a separate app for that? Yeah, it's a really yeah, annoying. Repost, I don't mess with that. It's a weird one. I'm really into the stories. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. That's really the, the, the closest thing you can do to regramming stuff. Put them on those stories. You can check me out at Embryonic Insider. You can check Rowan out at Pitches Podcast on the Instagram. Um, you can check out Ridiculous History at Ridiculous History. Um, also, if you want to hang out with your fellow Ridiculous Historians, you can do that on our Facebook group, which is The Ridiculous Historians. You just have to name one of our names uh, or Casey's name. <laughs> Or, or you know what? We'll or add. make us laugh. <laughs> oh, name dropping. That's another one we didn't talk about. <laughs> That's very true. That can probably figure out where that one goes. <laughs> I think we know. Um, big thanks to super producer Casey Pegram and Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Yes. Uh, thanks, as always, to our research associate team. Uh, thanks very much to uh, you guys 
out there listening in podcast land. This episode is over, but the story of strange phrases continues. Uh, when you are reaching out to us, let us know what uh, what phrase always sounded very strange to you or yeah. the origin story of something. And let us know if you want to see um, Idiots on Idioms or Idiomatic for the People um, rearing its head once again. In Idiomocracy. The, there you go. In the uh, ridiculous historianosphere. There we go. There we'll see we you go. next time, folks. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.